The fact of the matter is, nobody has enough. Nobody has enough. Presidents, they don't have enough. Senators, kings, queens, princesses and princes, moms, dads, pastors, no one has enough. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor right now and tell them with a smile on your face, you don't have enough. <laughs> now, this is, this is going to be fun. I want you to turn to your other neighbor, who's obviously your second choice at this point. <laughs> but, but turn to that other neighbor and tell them, I don't have enough either. <laughs> None of us has enough. Nobody, not even LeBron James has enough. 51 points Thursday night in the first game of the NBA Finals, and they lose. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, hold on a minute. Listen, we grieve with those who grieve. We celebrate with those who celebrate. I don't care who you are. Nobody has enough power. And I think it's because we instinctively misunderstand, or maybe to put it another way, none of us inherently understands how to acquire more power. Physically, just, just on the physical, superficial realm, to, to grow in strength and power, we have, to, we have to work out and exercise to the point of what? Fatigue and failure. That doesn't make any sense. And for our muscles to come back stronger and healthier than they were before, we have to rest. We, have to, we, we actually get stronger by sleeping. It just doesn't make any sense. But then you take that physical principle and begin to translate it to the spiritual realm, the core of who we are as human beings created in the image of God at that, at that soul level and you, you take the words of Jesus who said, the first is going to be last. And if you're last right now, don't worry, you, you will be first. You want to be great? You want to be, you want to be powerful? Serve. John said, he must become greater, I must become less. The Apostle Paul said, to live is to die, to die is gain. This this totally counterintuitive power structure that God has created, that he's baked into this world that he's made, is so counterintuitive to us. And yet, it's, it's literally at the center of the Christian life. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, then you understand that the power of God that raised Christ from the dead is available to anyone who follows Christ. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, the, the Ephesians, in the very first chapter, in the opening, what we call verses, but the opening lines of this letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, Paul is explaining to them the gospel and how it lives out, how it plays out in and through their lives, our lives. And central to his writing this letter to the church at Ephesus is this idea of, of 
power. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He said, I also, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So, so this idea of, of power is one that is central to the Christian life and yet so widely misunderstood and mis, misapplied in our lives. The word power in, in the New Testament, almost every time that you see it, almost every time, it's, it comes from a Greek word that we can all relate to. It, it, say the word power. Power. Pow, power is a good word. But in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, the word for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And so we, we understand power. How many of y'all remember the old TV show, Good Times, back in the 70s? You know where I'm going with this. Remember J.J.? Jimmy? J.J. Walker. Jimmy Walker's a comedian, but back in the 70s, he had a sitcom called Good Times. And Jimmy Walker was about six foot four, weighed about 130 pounds, dripping wet, holding a brick. I mean, he's that big around. And, and his signature line on Good Times, you know, if, if a girl would call him on the telephone and his, his mom, Florida, would say, J.J., the telephone's for you, he would come out and he'd, you know, schmooze a little bit, hang up the phone, and he'd say, tonight's the night for kid dynamite. <laughs> How many of y'all remember JJ? You remember kid dynamite now? Okay. Some of, I know we're dating ourselves. Some of you are going, I've never heard of that. <laughs> you can check it out on the Google later on, but it's, it, it was a very real, but here's the thing that the Bible teaches from beginning to end that anyone who follows Christ is born again to be a very real kid dynamite. That, that you're, you're born again to be a child of God in the power of God. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis and you remember when God created Adam and Eve and they were there in the Garden of Eden and everything was, was phenomenal. They, they, were, they had everything that they needed, but they, they walked away from that. They rebelled against the power of God, the authority of God. And, and when they did that, they, they walked away from the power for life that they were created for. And so the entirety of Scripture is God reaching out to humanity, particularly through the person of Jesus Christ, to reintroduce us, to reconnect us to that dunamis, to that power in Christ, because our sin disconnects us from that power. And, and in particular, it's, it's really counterintuitive when you think about the ways that we can access the power of God. A lot of us would think, well, we need to go to a mountaintop or maybe a retreat or a conference if I read a book, when in reality, the vast majority of the power of God that he wants to impart to us, that he wants to put into work in this world through us. It doesn't come from a conference or a mountaintop or a retreat or, or a book. It, it, it comes very simply through staying. Just, just Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, that there is 
power to be had simply in staying, in remaining faithful. That this, this staying power of God is not just the power to stay, it's the power that comes through staying. It's the power that we develop, it's the power that we receive, it's the power that, that becomes a part of who we are as we remain, as we abide in Christ. I've shared with you before that, you know, when Julie and I got married, coming up on 27 years ago, I didn't have a fat clue what I was in for or what I was signing up for. When Julie and I walked down the aisle, how many of you who are married know you didn't have a clue? There should be more hands up than there are right now. I'm just saying, you shouldn't be lying at church. But, but over the years, I, I, I've discovered something that, that, that there, there's this incredible power that, that Julie and I share, that we experience, that we've received simply by staying in each other's lives. We, we've got a slogan in our marriage. We haven't put it on any t-shirts or hats yet, or even on a Yeti, but, so it may not even be official, but this is what we say. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Now, sometimes we preface that slogan by saying, I don't like you right now, but I'm not going anywhere. Or a lot of times I've been like, I, I don't get you, but I'm not going anywhere, I'm, but I want to learn. How many husbands know that you always have room to learn and grow? I, I believe this with everything that I have. I think that part of the creative genius of God when he made woman as created in his image was that opportunity to always be learning and growing. You never get to the bottom of who your wife is. You, you never fully understand a woman. <laughs> women, you, you know women, you understand guys. That's kind of like two plus two is four. <laughs> you, I mean, you get us. We're, we're just ridiculously simple. You all are beautifully complex. <laughs> beautifully and powerfully complex. But, but there's, there's this power, this, this staying power is the series that we begin today as a church for the next few weeks. And I think it's important here at the very beginning that we kind of establish a baseline, that we have a working definition for what we're talking about when we say staying power. Check out this definition of staying power. Staying power is the supernatural strength that comes through faithfulness to God's purposes. Staying power is the supernatural strength that comes through faithfulness to God's purposes. That there's a, there's a certain spiritual and relational power that is only accessible. You, you only connect to it over time. You only understand it. You only experience it as you participate in it. And over the next few weeks, kind of our, our template or our paradigm for this series is a fascinating life that's recorded for us historically in the Bible. Joshua is one of the few characters of Scripture 
one of the few historical figures that the Bible records the life of, that there is nothing negative written about him. Isn't that interesting? If you look at almost every other pillar of the faith, then there's some negative stuff attached to that. Moses was a murderer. He, he didn't talk so good. And yet he led Israel out of Egyptian slavery. King David, we don't even have time to recount all of David's. I mean, that's, David's sins are a whole sermon series. The apostle Paul himself wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul had been a murderer. Paul had actively gone out and sought out followers of Christ for the purposes of killing them. And yet, in all of these instances, God was able to take flawed personalities and use their strengths and their gifts in the context even of their weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. Now, we know that Joshua sinned. I mean, he was a human being like you and me. But the Bible doesn't record any of it. It only records the faithful life of Joshua. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter number one. In Joshua chapter one, there's this incredible, incredible inflection point moment in the history of God's chosen people, Israel. And this is how the Bible records the moment. In Joshua chapter one, verses one through three, and then skip into verse five. The Bible says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now, it's important, I think, that we understand the context of Joshua assuming the leadership of the nation of Israel just before they're to enter the promised land. Moses had, of course, led Israel out of Egyptian slavery, about 450 years of slavery. For 40 years, they, they wandered through the Sinai wilderness, and Moses and his brother Aaron, his lieutenant, if you will, led them through that wandering. But, but then Moses, just before Israel was to enter the promised land, Moses died. And Joshua assumes the mantle of leadership. He, he assumes the, the reins of leadership at this critical juncture. And you might look at this and go, well, Joshua's the man. He, he must have gone to Harvard Business School. He, he must have read all kinds of books and, and, and had incredible mentors. But I think it's really important for us, especially as we begin this series on staying power, that, that we understand how Joshua's leadership, how his staying power grew over time. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 17, in Exodus 17, Israel is still in the middle of their wanderings in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, it's really just the very beginning. They haven't even gotten the Ten Commandments from God. That doesn't happen until Exodus chapter 20. But in Exodus chapter 17, this is what happens. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Now, context here is really, really important. Because you might kind of look at it and go, hey, Mo, bruh, why, why are you going to the hill and sending Joshua to the war? It's because God had told him to. Immediately prior to this, God had commanded Moses that you have to fight. Yes, I'm giving you the promised land. It is a promise that you have to participate in. The Israelites were not going to just kind of stroll into the promised land and go, hey, guys, we're here. If y'all just kind of clear out, we'll take over. Thanks. <laughs> they had to fight. They, they had to work to claim the promises of God. And God had told Moses, for this battle, I want you at the top of the hill as Israel fights in the valley below. And as long as your hands are up and you, you hold the staff that, that God has divinely ordained and symbolizes the power of God, as long as you hold that staff up, Israel will prevail on the battlefield. I want everybody to do me a favor real quick. Everybody just raise your hands up like this. Y'all put deodorant on this morning, it's fine. Everybody hold your hands up and just, just hold your hands up. Now, you're not even holding anything in your hands. Moses had this staff, the, the shepherd's crook, if you will. It was, it was a heavy piece of lumber that, that he's holding. And as long as Moses holds his hands up, Joshua prevails on the battlefield. The, the, the war goes Israel's way. As a matter of fact, that's why Aaron and her. H-U-R, it wasn't a woman, Aaron and her went up, no. Aaron and her were there to help hold up, no, keep your hands up for a minute, I'm going somewhere with this. Aaron and her were there to help hold Moses' arms up. And because, you, like, your shoulder's kind of burning a little bit right now? Oh, come on. So, you can do it, come on. So, as long as Moses' arms were up, Israel won, but... Moses got tired, and, and he let his arms down, like we're not going to do right now. <laughs> and when he let his arms down, Aaron and her were there to hold his arms up. And as, <laughs> as long as the hands were up, Israel was up. Hands go down, Israel goes down. Well, because Moses had help, are you putting your arms? No, no, no. Because Moses had help, they prevailed. Israel won the battle. Now, just real quick. I didn't say put them down real quick. I said just real quick. How many of your shoulders are burning right now? If your shoulders are burning, put your arms up. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Mine are. I'm feeling it. And listen, I, I realize my shoulders are jacked, and, and I'm really feeling it. So... I'll be honest with you, your laughter is, pain, is hurtful. <laughs> so because you laughed at that, we're going to keep our arms up a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and put your arms down. <laughs> Need a protein shake. But here's the principle. Staying power is generated through struggle. Staying power is generated through struggle. Joshua struggled on the battlefield. Now, Moses having his arms up, that, you, you, you're going to feel that after a while, but he had Aaron and her. He had some help. And, and I think it's important 
to, to remember, when we talk about war, this, this is about 1,400 years before Christ, give or take, historically. When we talk about war in this day and age, there are no guided missiles, no bombing runs from jets. This is brutal, hand-to-hand combat death. And that's what Joshua's staying power was forged in. That, that, was, that was where the, the staying power was generated in the struggle. I don't know where you are this morning, but I, I, I know enough about life and, and people to know that in a room this size, there, there's a lot of struggle this morning. So, some of you are, are in the middle of maybe, maybe some pain that, that you never even knew or thought was possible. And if you're not, that, that's great. We celebrate that with you. But, but you only have to be alive about 30 or 45 minutes to know that struggle is a part of life. And this, this is where the power of God translates into our lives. God's power is so great that he can take even our struggles. And in those struggles, he's generating power for us to come through on the other side. God generates power. He creates it within the midst of that struggle. So that's why the Bible says in James, count it all blessings when you encounter struggles of many kinds. Count it a blessing. Now, we don't, you know, go, it's, it's not like philosophical jujitsu. It's not like we go, oh, I broke my leg. That's a good thing. No. We understand that breaking your leg hurts. It's painful. We understand that a broken relationship hurts and is painful. But in God's economy, in the context of staying power, God can take even our greatest pain that he didn't cause and use it for his purposes. So, so staying power, we, we generate that staying power through the struggle. But, but even before this, there, there are other ways that, that are so, again, counterintuitive to how we build, how we develop that, that staying power. Look at the life of Joshua. The, the Bible says this in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus 33, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Isn't that amazing to just ponder for a second? God and Mo Moses talked to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him Joshua, son of Nun, N-U-N, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So we generate this staying power through struggle, but we, we cultivate staying power. We, we develop it and grow it and expand it in service. We cultivate staying power in serving each other, in serving other people. Now, at this point, Joshua didn't know that he was going to lead Israel into the promised land. He had not been named the heir apparent to Moses. But you, but you got to figure he'd had some battlefield successes. Joshua knew intuitively he had some, some leadership capacity. 
And yet, he still chose to serve Moses. Now, the tent of meeting is interesting because it, it, was, not, it was not the tabernacle that, that God would later dictate the blueprints to. It, it was just the tent of meeting where, where Moses would go to pray, where, where Moses would go to connect with God, to receive from God a word about how to lead God's people. And he would inquire of God. He would seek God's wisdom and guidance there in the tent of meeting. But then he would leave that and, and go back to the people of Israel. He would say, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to resolve this conflict. All of those things happened in that tent of meeting. And yet Joshua stayed there. He, he was there. We don't know if, if Joshua was in the room when Moses and God talked face to face. We, we assume that he wasn't because nowhere else in Scripture does it say that he was. But, but he was there serving Moses as a, as a recognized field general in military matters. He chose to serve Moses. He, he chose to subsume, to submit his own leadership drives and ambitions and capacities to, to make sure that, that Moses had everything he needed to, to lead this, this incredible tribe known as Israel. At the time, it was probably about two and a half to three million people. By the time they were getting ready to enter the promised land, some scholars think it was as many as four million when Joshua took over. An incredible leadership weight Joshua served, and it was in that serving that Joshua's staying power was cultivated. It, it, it began to kind of, it, it began to take root, and it was, it was there that the people saw, they got to see Joshua. He didn't, he didn't go back with Moses when he went to the people, but they knew where he was. They knew who he was, and, and so as he served Moses over time faithfully, Joshua developed a reputation Joshua developed a reputation that, that he would do whatever it took to make sure that Israel flourished and thrived and followed God's leading, even to the point of, of serving. He, he'd won wars and battles. We saw that, but he would serve. You, you cultivate staying power by serving people. It, it's what Jesus did. If you, if you don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God yet, that, that's... that's not where you are right now. I, I don't think you can intelligently argue that there has ever, ever been a more influential leader in the world than Jesus. No one has impacted as many people positively as Jesus did. No one. And the primary tool that he used was not coercion. It, it was not authoritarianism, it was serving. It, it was the, the Son of God on his hands and knees washing feet. He, he served, and when people saw the Son of God serve, they went, something's different here. He, he's, he said, I, I didn't come to be served, I, I came to serve. Now, make no mistake about it, he also leads. He also led his people. Yes, he washed feet. But, but if you'll remember, he also, when, when Peter said, Lord, let nothing ever bad happen to you, he said, get behind me, Satan. Don't get in the way of what's between me and what God has for me. So Jesus perfectly 
perfectly meshed that, that servant leader notion. Yes, he served, but make no mistake, he led too, just as he continues to. And that, that staying power of Joshua was cultivated there in his service, in what he offered to other people, to, to Moses in particular. But th there's one more passage that I think is so fascinating, and we're going to spend some more time on this next week and in the weeks to come. But in Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 13 and 14 tell the story of Moses commissioning a reconnaissance mission. He, he knew that God had promised the promised land to Israel, but he also knew it wasn't going to come easy. And so he commissioned 12 spies to go recon the promised land, one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 spies went out under cover of night, special ops. And they came back in and, and unanimously they were like, this place is unbelievable. I mean, we couldn't carry the bunches of grapes. It is so fertile. The land of milk and honey doesn't even do it justice. All of them said that. But 10 of them, 10 of them said, but the people there are huge. I mean, giants. We were like grasshoppers compared to them. The sons of Anak, they said. And if you do the homework in the original Hebrew, the sons of Anak, that translates to Shaquille. They were that big. <laughs> and because of their size, 10 of them said, no, we can't do this. But two of them, two of them said, come on, man. Check this out. Look in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, there he is again, Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. This was, this was them grieving over the report of the other ten. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of this land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. Don't be afraid. I'm so glad I'm not your neighbor. Tell them like you mean it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They have no protection. The Lord is with us. Staying power, it's generated in the struggle. It's, it's cultivated. It's cultivated in service. But staying power is demonstrated. Staying power is demonstrated through staying. I know that's really profound. I'm going to say that again. Staying power is demonstrated through staying. The power to stay, the power to stand like Joshua and Caleb, the power that says, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I know God's bigger than this problem. That's power to stay. I'm not going anywhere. 
I will stay. The power to stay. The dunamis. You, you demonstrate this power that's been generated and cultivated. You, you, we demonstrate it when we stay. When we stay faithful to the purposes and the promises of God. When we stay obedient to the word of God. When, when we remain friends, even when we get sideways with each other. When, when we remain family, even when we don't get each other. There's, there's this power that comes from staying. That, that nothing else causes. It's, it's this power that, it, that none of us has enough of. But every one of us has access to. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, we have it inscribed in stone in our lobby. The Bible says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, his dunamis, his dynamite that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know, amen means let it be. Amen. Let it be so. Let us live like it. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. See, it's not my power. It's not your power. People who, who strive and cling to power and I'm powerful, I'm powerful, I'm powerful. No, 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 you're not. You're not. That's like saying I'm cool. I'm so cool, I'm going to tell you I'm cool. If somebody ever says I'm cool, that's not cool, dude. I'm powerful. I'm the most powerful person. I kind of don't think so. His power that is at work within us. His power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to anyone who would follow him. Anyone. Don't be afraid. Jesus got up from the dead. How big is your problem? How big are my problems? He got up from the dead. That's pretty powerful. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask, if you would, during this time, for nobody to move. The Methodists have already beat us to Luby's. This is sacred. Because if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ, why not right now? Just right where you're sitting. To pray a prayer of beginning. It's, it's a prayer of surrender. Absolutely. And, I, and we, we know that that's counterintuitive. 
But when you surrender to the power of Christ, you become part of the power of Christ. In relationship with him, to know him, to confess all of your sin, to receive all of his forgiveness. And then, and then to remain, to abide, to live in that. That's the promise of Jesus. If you're here today and you want to take hold of that promise, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting, silently, just talk to God, and silently just, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your power, not mine, yours. I confess my sin, all of it, to claim your forgiveness, all of it. I choose to believe that you died on the cross and rose again for me. And so I will follow you. I surrender to your power. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just for a moment more remain with your heads bowed. If that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. It's the greatest moment of your life because it's the moment for which you were created and it's the moment that God will build everything that comes after on top of. And you're kind of in the perfect place for it because you're surrounded by people who want to help. People who want to be a family of faith with you. We, we are far from perfect, believe me, but, but we want to help. And so if you would, I want to just ask you to do a couple of things. If, if that was your prayer, would you, number one, Take the program out that you got when you came in, and right now just start filling out the Connect card that's inside. You'll open it up and see it there, and right below kind of the halfway mark on that page is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Fill out that card, and once you've finished it, you can tear it off at the perforation that is there along the fold. And on your way out, hand it to one of our amazing ushers and hosts. That's why they're there. So that we can just come alongside and be family with you and help in any way possible. Second of all, if that was your prayer and you meant it, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just quietly but unmistakably unmistakably raise it up high over your head and hold it there for just a second as a physical sign of the spiritual commitment that you just made and just know that we want to help in any way that we can and as a family 
we honor that and celebrate it. You can, you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.